Okay, so welcome, welcome to today, where we we, we still we still really examining the topic of we're still really going to this topic of the, fir- the first steps of spiritual growth, and just some of the stuff that we've done in Fulmer is recognizing that as humans. As humans, the spiritual realm has a context because if I would be an atheist or believer, I'm still struggling and would need to, by definition, struggle with the question of existence because my brain only operates within the realm of cause and effect and because the nature of existence defines cause and effect, because whether you believe in the Big Bang or the creation story, either way, there was something that came before. So if it's the Big Bang, what came before the Big Bang? Oh, there were these atoms, and what made the atoms? Oh, and then you really kind of get stuck, because there's no answer to that question. If you say, well, okay, so you believe in creation, don't you? Well, who made creation? Well, God did, and who made God? Oh, I don't know, and you get stuck in the same thing. So whether you be an atheist or a religious person, either way, your rational mind... Your rational mind doesn't help you in understanding the mystery of the universe. So now the next question is, if the rational mind, if the rational mind isn't an effective mechanism to explore the nature of the spiritual... Steve, you can just take the chair, take the chair. Yo, yo. You can wear the hat and the jacket if you want. Come on, yeah, come on, yeah. I feel like, I feel like I'm prepared. My chance. Okay. So, so here we go. So, so the first step in spirituality, first of all, acknowledges the fact that my rational, the rational mind has a cap to what it can understand what it can't. Just like my eyes can only see a certain distance, a certain range of frequencies, and my ears, and my taste. I'm limited in many ways. One of my limitations is that the rest of my life can only go so far. And the one thing that can't work out is anything, anything about the Creator. It just stops. Because we have to deal with things like eternity, which we can't fathom. And we have to deal with the construct which is beyond the construct within, with, within which, which we function. So how do we start to get a handle on this? Boom. Welcome to what's called the spiritual world. In order for us to get a handle on something which our brain can't grasp it, and because we are beings who have cognition, that means we do have a thought process, so the spiritual world provides a portal, an access that through utilization of the cognitive functions of our brain, we can start to approach but never get to an idea of a transcendent being. And that transcendent being is not only an idea that we can't grasp, but it has a basic relevance in terms of the world that we're living. Because the the practical result of this impossible to, to understand idea, which is creation, is that we're alive and we're in this world. And therefore, in order in order to fathom the mystery of this world, well, we can't do it by direct access to fathoming fathoming the mind of the creator because it's beyond the realm of what we can possibly do. It's like trying to hear sounds that are in a frequency which is too high or too low for us to, to hear. So what can we do? We can, we can approximate through a, um, through a system of analogy. 
An analogy means that I tell you something that you can grasp, and then you get a sense of something beyond that. So if I tell you an analogy about an analogy to um, to value, analogy to value, I'll give you an analogy now. Once upon a time, in the land far, far away, there lived a, a humble man whose name was Jeff. Jeff wakes up one morning and he looks around his house. His crude wooden stools are barely keeping themselves together. His cupboards are empty. There's no food. His wife and children look at him with longing eyes and there's nothing to give them. Jeff decides he needs to do something, he needs to do something urgently. He goes to a good friend of his, he's a man of means, and he requests a loan. 10,000 gold coins to sustain his family for an extended period of time where he can go pursue an income. His friend generously grants him the loan and off he sets to see, to seek his fortune. But poor Jeff, for the journey he went on, was doomed to fail. In the midst of a cold and stormy night, the waves smashing against the sides of the ship, lightning cracking, thunder shaking him to the very depths of his soul, and one wave comes and smashes a small vessel in half. Jeff thinks it's all over. And then he's thrust into the icy water. He has no choice but to grab onto a piece of flotsam and simply hope for the best. It seemed like hours that he was clinging onto this piece of wood. But eventually, as the dawn broke, he saw land ahead. And the current, wave after wave, pushed him towards the shore. And he landed on the shore. And with the last ounces of his strength, he looked around and was mesmerized. As far as he could see, the beach was strewn with precious stones, emeralds, rubies, diamonds. Even as his strength was expiring, he gathered together these jewels. He put them in a small satchel that he had, and he went to seek civilization, food, drink. It wasn't long before he came to a small little village, found an inn. With his wealth, he felt confident, ordering the best meal, which he did. Ordered the best meal, drank, Eight felt like a king and it came time for him to pay for the meal and the waiter says he has your gold and he says <laughs> producing an emerald from his sack this should cover it plonked it down on the table and the waiter looked at him laughed he said what's that? what do you mean what's that? That's an emerald. Okay, so why does it have any value? Said the waiter. 
What do you mean? Have you no idea how precious the stone is? He says, well, it's not at all because you just picked it up from the beach. I can go get it in the beach myself. You have to give me real money. I want real money. Confused. They said, what's, what's, what's real money? <laughs> what you real money? You know what real money is? <laughs> what's real money? Real money. Real money. Real money. So what do you mean? He goes, chicken fat. Chicken fat. That's real money. So do you think, well, I don't really have any chicken fat. So the waiter says, well, how are you going to pay for your meal? I don't have anything. I've got shipwrecked. So, so Jeff says, maybe I can work for you. The waiter reluctantly agrees, and he has him washing up the dishes and doing the basic menial tasks of the restaurant. But the truth is, Jeff is a talented guy, motivated, and slowly but surely, he actually pays back his meal and starts to actually make a, a decent income. He's paid in chicken fat. There's a small area which is cool that you can keep it so it doesn't go sour. And he accumulates enormous amounts of chicken fat in his chicken fat vault. <laughs> to the degree that he actually buys a restaurant. Lands on opening up a chain called Jeff's. Originally named after the owner. And he's raking it in. He's now got these huge refrigerated bowls where he keeps all the chicken fat. And he realizes it's time for him to go home. He has enough money to live on comfortably, support his family for the rest of his life. So he gets a special ship. There's a hold in the hold. There's a refrigerated, um, gigantic area. Transports all the chicken fat. And he puts it in. As he's leaving, as he's leaving, he looks at the precious stones on the, on the shore and he says, you know what, these would be some nice trinkets to, to come home and bring them to my family. He picks up a few of them, puts them in his pockets, and off he goes and he arrives with such anticipation at his hometown. People see this huge ship pulling into the harbor, they gather around and they say, no, none other than Jeff and his family hear the news and they come and he says, we never have to worry about anything in our lives again. Really goes, look what I've got. And he takes him on the ships and he shows them his wealth. And his wife looks at him and she goes, What is this? What is this? He goes, What do you mean? This is chicken fat. And she goes, What do you do with this? Useless, it's just gonna go rancid. We need chicken fat, we need chicken fat from every chicken running around the square with chicken fat. And then all of a sudden, Jeff suddenly remembers his old life. He comes to his senses and he recognizes this is worthless. This has no value. And as he's pensive, caught in thoughts, he puts his hand in his pocket and he feels something and then he inadvertently, almost unaware, takes out a few of the rubies and golds and rubies and emeralds and his wife goes, whoa, what are those? He goes, oh no, there's just some stuff up there. She goes, this, this, we can live happily for the rest of our lives. And all of a sudden he recognizes what he could have bought back and what he did. And he breaks down into tears. The soul 
sent on a journey to accumulate an income. And on that voyage to this world, the ship gets wrecked. And the small fetus becomes a little newborn crying. And we are in an environment which is strewn with precious stones. A warm hello, another word of terror, stopping ourselves from saying that word of Rosh horror, another twiller, another brocha, emeralds, diamonds, rubies. But there's chicken fat. Making sure that the shirt I wear has a horseman galloping along. <laughs> Making sure that the car drive has comfortable leather seats with a seat warmer because Hiles won't be able to drive. Making sure that my life is devoted to getting more and more chicken fat. But one day it will come time for me to return home. And I'll show off my storehouses to the one that sent me. Will I be showing him my treasure chest of diamonds and rubies? Or will it be the pain of recognizing that I invested my efforts in getting more and more chicken fat in my life? And the rubies and emeralds are left discarded on the ground. Boom! Well, that's a marshal. <laughs> oh! That's a marshal. That's a marshal. Now, I've always said to you, do you know what? Mitzvahs are precious. That's an idea. When I give you that marshal, you steal that idea. It's a different world. Feeling, experiencing, as opposed to, yeah, you know, mitzvahs are precious. Yeah, yeah, sure, they're precious. Anyone got somewhere making cryptocurrency better for me, maybe? <laughs> So, but when you, when you actually live that, and you're in the marsh, and you see the jewels and the gold, it makes it experiential. This is a limitation of the human dimension. We only get affected by experiences, not by knowledge. So in order for us to gain access to the thing which is beyond the realm of experience, of our physical experience, we need to find a pathway that's called the marsh. And that's what we just did. I just gave you an entranceway into the validity of investing life to pursuing spiritual values. How do I do it through making it real? But I, I gave a concept through a marshal. Now, there's two levels to this. This is like it's really freaky. So, the spiritual world is the interface between Hashem and us. Now, this world gets tricky. And this world is the marshal of analogy to that. In other words, give me, give me an example. Then, in order for us to grasp Hashem, so there's something called the Yad Hashem, Hashem's hand. So if you say to me, well, what's a real hand? Havamina, I would think, this is a real hand. And what's Hashem's hand? Well, that's a, a concept. Shift. What's a real hand? Shem's hand. What's this? This is a analogy to what a hand is. What do you mean by that? Siegel, says Dovi in his head. I mean the following. A hand is a power to pick up things and move them from one place to another. 
It's the power to impact the world by moving things around and interacting with it. Now, if I've got a long arm, like the long arm of the law, oh, it's a long arm. What does that mean? It means it can reach to very far places. So what is a hand? A hand is a diluted expression of what Hashem's ability to control the world is all about. But where's the real hand? The real hand is the hand of Hashem. But I wouldn't be able to grasp it, grasp it, grasp it, another metaphor. I wouldn't be able to grasp the idea if I didn't have a hand. So this world provides me with an analogy to what the spiritual world looks like. And the spiritual world provides me with an entrance point to give me inkling based on my limited, constricted state of Hashem. Not Hashem, of Hashem. He's interaction with me. So really, let's go. This world is just one big marshal. And everything in it is just an illustration of a higher spiritual power. The spiritual power is the reality. But I don't have any sense of what the reality is until I've experienced it through the world of my own senses. So when we speak about the Yad Hashem, the reason why I can grasp the Yad Hashem, grasp it, is because I have a hand. When we speak about Ene Hashem, Hashem's eyes, so that I can understand that Hashem doesn't see, I mean, he doesn't see the way I see. Because the way I see, there's a limit to my vision. I can't see inside. I can only see on the outside. I can't see in the future or in the past. I can only see in the present. I can't see certain colors. I can't see, but, but I understand what the notion of sight is. Hashem's eyes are the real eyes. They can see the future, they can see the past, they can see into my heart. Deep, deep, deep. That's called real sight. But because I have eyes, I have a way of a handle to grasp that. So when we speak about steps in spirituality, we speak about allowing the physical world to act as an instructor, an analogy to be able to get the physical world gets me to the spiritual world, and the spiritual world gets me an approximation to start to see how that divine energy, which is incomprehensible, filters into the world. And how I can, as a creation, absorb some of that energy. There are times when the constructs of my mind can be completely left behind, and then I can start to experience direct access. That's what happened at Hasinai. At Hasinai, the constructs, the constrictions of the cognitive mind were removed, and the Jewish people as a whole had an intimate moment where they experienced beyond mortality the infinite nature of the divine. And that's why they all died. Everyone died in Harasinah. Did you know that? They died. Because the physical corporeal limitations of being human don't facilitate that level of insight. So they had to die. They had to leave their bodies in order to comprehend it. Even though we can't leave our bodies today, we can acknowledge that as a link to the transmission of that time. But there are ways that we may not be able to fully get there, but through strong practice, meditative techniques, we can certainly get beyond the certain physical constraints of our of our limited experience of life.
and we can start to touch on the world beyond what we can feel with our sense of touch, what we can grasp through our emotions, what we can understand in our thoughts and get to the point inside ourselves which is beyond that. And the truth is, even though that seems pretty freaky, but as you said, you know, you're there already. Shall I point out how you're there? Okay, watch this. You're about to enter into spiritual experience. Are you ready? Let me ask you this. Um, are your hands you? Can you say my hands? Excellent. Beautiful. Um, that means they belong to you. Okay, so they're not you. They're the things that you have. You can't, you can't use a personal pronoun unless there's someone who's possessing it. This is probably mine. In mine. So you own your hands. Yeah. Okay. Can you say my love for you is unending? Well, you don't have to say that. It would be too, a little bit too uncomfortable. <laughs> Could you say those words? Uh, yeah. So it means that you own your love. So your love is not you either. Uh, yeah. Could you say something like, you know, my thoughts about about your know, Rosh Hashanah have been like really lofty. Could you say that? My thoughts about Rosh Hashanah Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that your thoughts aren't you either. I'm not sure what it is. There you go, boom. Hello, welcome to the real It's not your thoughts. It's not your feelings. It's not your body. It's the way you Start and everything about you starts. You start and everything about you starts. Comprehend that. You can't comprehend it. You can't. That's the only point. It's a problem. Okay. So, 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 well, I think it's some profound ideas in a very short period of time. I want you to take one step further. <laughs> A homage to modern culture. Um, we yesterday yes, yes, we studied an incredibly powerful paragraph from the Vilna Gaon in Mishle, and he says, Adam The foolishness of a person will make his way go crooked, and he'll get upset with Hashem. We explained this to me, or the Gaon explained, the Vilna Gaon explained this to me that. It's not talking about a person that's making an open, negative mistake in his life. It's talking about a person that really, really, really wants to do the right thing. And he tries so hard. And he fails so bad. He wanted to ill, ill, ill. He wanted to die every day in a minute. Say opposite Zimran. And the truth is, first day he did it. Second day he did it. Third day he stepped in. Fourth day he felt bad. Fifth day he did it again. But he felt contrite. Guilt. Oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? And the sixth day said, Why was I even trying to hope it? And then he said, Hashem, I don't understand. How could you have done this to me? I tried my hardest. Why did you leave me high and dry? What's going on? Doesn't it say up all the time? I know you say that you give special assistance to people who are trying to do the right thing. Come on! Ivelis Adam is a That is the ground called Ivelis Adam. That's stupid. As they say in America, stupid. 
and say, stupid. That's stupid. Why is it stupid? Listen to this. It's stupid because when you took that decision to dive in the meaning every single day, you didn't check in and see if that's where you were. Is that where you were? Is that where you were? Well, let me ask you, well, what have you been doing until now? <laughs> Diving by myself. How many times? Well, three times a week. Well, okay, so where are you? This is a goal, you have to always work in your Madrid. Where are you? Well, I'm in a place, I'm doubling three times a week by myself. So if you go from that to doubling seven days a week in a meeting, that's called the jump. And when you jump, you go to run, what will for sure happen? Boom! You come falling down. Why? Because you're stupid. Why are you stupid? Because you're not in check with your resources. Your resources will allow you to do four days a week to this. Or maybe one day a week to go to shore. But that's the limitation of what you have to offer. So when you're climbing the ladder of spiritual ascension, you can only go one rung at a time. You go two rungs, so then you fall. You go three rungs, you fall with a bigger bang. Step by step. Do you know what that's called? Thinking about life. It's called being touched. It's called about well thought out logical progression. It's called using myself in a real way and recognizing that the spiritual world is real. Because I can assure you, no one would try to win an Olympic gold medal when he's never swam in his life before. Assuming that the Olympic gold medal was for swimming. Um, they say the guy wants to say, yeah, I want to win, I want to win the gold medal. Tell me, buddy, can you swim? So you say, listen, doggy paddle. I'm waterborne. So you want to win the, uh, you want to win the gold medal? He goes, yeah, I want to win the gold medal. So what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to start doing that. So what stroke? He said, well, I don't really have a stroke. So did you feel that there could be a slight problem in your swimming progress? He goes, you know what? I don't care. Because I really want to do it. Next morning, he jumps into the pool. <laughs> and he manages to make it to the other side. Is this guy ever going to win the gold? The answer is no. Why? Because he's going outside of a realistic expectation of the limitations of what he has to offer in terms of the next stage of his growth. So I'm having a discussion with the guy. Say to him, so let me ask you, what do you want to do? How often do you double? So hey, when you ask this question to an average broker, they say, a lot. I don't know a lot. <laughs> like a head to the side, I don't know a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I say, well, like, like, how many times? And he goes, ah, you know, how many times? I say, how many times? And then like, they have to actually get it up. Say, Three or four times. Maybe five. And then the course of conversation is like two. <laughs> but like two is hard to say. So you go, okay, you double two times a week. Two times a week. Okay, that's chill. There's nothing wrong. Take my words carefully. There's nothing wrong with doubling two times a week if you double two times a week. What's the proof? The proof is like this. Who went to the army? Sadiq and Gamuri. Sadiq, last week's Pasha, where does Sadiq find himself? Find himself, you know, he's busy doing commando raid. Comes through the window, boom! Pumps into his house. And then he sees he's not alone. On the other side of the room, there's gorgeous Christina. She looks at him. He looks at her. And their eyes meet in the electric moment. She says, Hey honey, what's your star sign? <laughs> That's called an Asian Yafas Toya. What does he do? He says, how about it? 
you and me, mate. Overs could overs, but I won't go into the details. Age restricted shit. What do you mean? How is that possible? That's okay. But, post facto, post facto, time has gone down, post facto, take go home with you, there's a procedure, do this, do that, there's a mahalik, there's an approach, there's a way of dealing with it. The Torah doesn't have a problem speaking to us where we are. <laughs> From that we learn, the Torah doesn't speak to the from me, the Torah speaks to the real me. Who's the real me? The one that's struggling with Nashim Hodran, Brochus, and Tainj, and Nashim And the Torah says, ah, you're the one I want to speak to. And what do I want to say to you? I want to say to you, I'm not holding you accountable for where you are. I'm holding you accountable for one thing. Making sure that you're moving forward with one stipulation in relation to where you are right now. Not one step further than you can take. Not one step further than you can take. And when you do that, I bother Thomas saying, I say, then you'll get spiritual injection of divine assistance. You go one step too forward, lose it. You don't do anything, nothing to talk about. So is there anything wrong with diving three times a week? No, no, no. Diving three times a week. Okay, because day, I don't care. Is there something wrong with diving three times a week and just thinking I diving three times a week? Disaster. It has to be part of the process. And thinking, I'm done three times a week, and do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to skip one day, because I'm going to go to shore one day. Okay, that makes sense. Let's see, does it work? You're working with yourself. The goal in life is not to be perfect, it's to be working on yourself. Truth, the truth speaks to the Yetzirah. We're all the Yetzirah, that means we're all different, we're all on the same journey. We're all on the same journey. We're different places, different groups, different. we're all on the same journey. Me, you, everyone. Me, you, everyone. She says to me, no, but Rabbi, you're holding something else. No, I'm not. I'm holding the same journey. What are my issues? I'm probably worse than your issues. All these other other stuff. You with me? Is that the most profound advice that you could ever get? Especially coming up to these times which are charged and people may fall in prey to, oh, well, it's ill. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And what's going to happen? Boom. Step by step, well thought out. Do you know your Madraga, Cynthia? Good. Do you know your Madraga, Adam? No. Let me ask a question. Let's talk about Twitter. Do you know your Madraga in Twitter? No. I'm asking, do you know your Madraga in Twitter? I don't know if the metric is... Good. Let me help you out. Do you dive in three times a day? Yeah. Okay. So a part of your Madraga is down three times a day. Which means below Madraga is not down three times a day. So therefore, that's not the, that's the, for you, that's not the struggle. Where's the struggle for you? When you down three times a day, how much of this money is are you focused grinding and how much are you distracted? We're amongst friends over there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe like 30% of it's focused. Focus. So your Madrid is you focus 30%. Yeah. So now you want to work on your Madrid. What do you do? I'm going to have Kabbalah for the whole thing. No. 32%. 35%. Maybe 40 I don't know. It depends. Do you understand? Do you get it? Boy, do you speak about Lashnara? Yeah. Where's your Madrid in Lashnara? 
Well, do you speak Russian about everyone like this Kefka? Okay. Do you speak Russian about some people? Generally, the people that are kind of already nasty and conniving and they already get you? I know them. I will speak about them after. <laughs> That's how we find our Madrega. Do you understand how you find your Madrega? And then you take one step forward. One step forward. Gentlemen, thank you for your attention. Look forward to seeing you again with the help of Hashem tomorrow. Be blessed tomorrow. We won't be here. We'll be back in the old place. The reason why we're here, something else is going on over there. Which means tomorrow will be in the old place. Where do you think we'll be tomorrow? Yeah. Okay? Almost. One last chance. Where do you think we'll be tomorrow? That's excellent. It starts at 12.30. And we should say, in the old place, not yet. Okay, good? Excellent. Ciao. <laughs>